Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowd funders, Lynn Jones and Harriet. Sitsipas claims the Monte Carlo crown. Dan Evans defeats Novak Djokovic. And Roger Federer announces his return to Roland Garros. Kim, the sun is shining, the pubs are now open. I feel like it's a pretty good time uh, to be in the UK. I've got a smile on my face and the clay season is in full swing. Monte Carlo, done and dusted. We had the final yesterday. Sissipas Rublev, which was a bit of a shock. And I feel like from your side, there's got to be mixed emotions here because you are the like number one Rafa fan. And I mean, Rafa, Monte Carlo, they normally go hand in hand, but in 2021, it just it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I was um, all hoping, Joel, to be out in the pub garden this weekend with a celebratory <laughs> gin and tonic for Rafa's, you know, next Monte Carlo title. But it was not to be. Friday evening, put, uh, you know. Dampener on your weekend. It did, yeah. It was, it was a bit of a shock. Maybe I went into a bit, you know, arrogant thinking, oh, Rafa's got this. You know, Rublev's been playing well, but... You know, surely, uh, you know, Rafa had barely lost a game uh, up to that point. But um, yeah, it wasn't to be. Um, and my other favourite sports person, Lewis Hamilton, did not win the Grand Prix. So it wasn't the best sporting weekend in, in history for me. But um, it was still, you know, it was still good. And we had a an interesting tournament. And we had a new winner, uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, his first Masters title, um, first Greek player to win a Masters title. So he's making history for his country. And and all in all, he had a really fantastic tournament, didn't drop a single set. Uh, it's his sixth career title. I guess his his second biggest uh, win after, you know, winning the, the ATP Tour Finals in 2019. And he's number one in the ATP race now. So he is the man of 2021, I suppose, at the moment, overall, if you think about it like that. Yes, Stefanos Tsitsipas, very, very accomplished performance in the final against Rublev. Very emphatic as well. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people going into that final potentially thinking it was going to go three sets. Um, you know, their head-to-head record, I think, was three all going into it. So, you know, they probably both know each game's uh, very well, you know, up through the juniors and then playing each other on the, the ATP circuit. But I think Sissipas really showed that he was really at home. He is really at home, I think, on a clay court. And is I think one of the, you know, he's going to be one of the the players to beat, I think, at the Roland Garros. I'm not going to say he's the, he's not the favourite. Of course, Nadal is the, I think still, we've got to say he's the overwhelming favourite, but I still think Sissipas certainly is going to be one of the potential challengers um, to his crown because he just, he just looks really, really solid at the moment. Yeah, we'll have to see how the rest of the, the warm-up events go. But yeah, he was really on it. And I think, you know, he has a lot more variety than Rublev. And when he's, you know, playing well, playing confidently like he was this week, it just 
made Rublev look a bit more um, one-dimensional, which we, I think we have, you know, touched upon before. And I mean, Sitzbass, when he got his first serve in, there's sort of no hope for Rublev, really. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was very dominant uh, behind his serve, Sitzbass was. And yeah, it's really, um, I was expecting it to be a, a lot closer, um, but it whizzed by in just over an hour, to be quite honest with you. And what I love, though, Joel, is the fact that his mum won at Monte Carlo. Back in the day, uh, they had a junior event for the women and his mum uh Yulia Saunakova <laughs> was a winner there in 1981 so it's running in the family I think that was a very personally you know emotional and special moment for Sitsipas and we know how kind of emotional he does get so I think it would be yeah it was really nice to see that for him um you know at the end in the, in the ceremony yeah, I think it was definitely a motivation for him. I think he said kind of going, you know, it wasn't really on his radar to be in, you know, to be in with at the start of the tournament. But when he got to the semi-finals, I think that did drive him a little bit. And it was quite, you know, it's quite a unique piece of history, isn't it? And it's quite a cool thing, I think, to say. I think he sort of said, like mother, like son. And it's quite nice that, you know, they're both now on the, you know, the honours board at, at Monte Carlo. And uh, yeah, it's it's really, really impressive from him. And I think, you know, that match against Rublev really kind of showed, I think, the the difference, I think, in, in level there is still between Sissipas and Rublev, who is a very consistent player. You know, we've we've seen his kind of performances at the 500 level, but he's still, I still think he's still much, very much developing and he is still a bit one dimensional. And I think when he comes up against someone who has that variety, like a Sissipas, who has multiple dimensions to his game, he's just getting he's getting beaten each time. And I think he, that's the thing that he will need to address because if his if his A game isn't working uh, against his opponent, it doesn't feel like he's got another another option at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Rublev has got a, a number of wins over over Sitsipas, but I think when Sitsipas is really on it, and when it comes to like these the deep end of of top top tournaments that's where it shows and it's sort of a bit lacking for Rublev and I suppose though you know after the quarter final against Rafa he must have been flying high with confidence because obviously defeating you know the king of clay uh, on the Monte Carlo court like you just you know Rublev going into it. I think I think before we were recording Joel you said that Rublev had taken a wild card into Barcelona because he mm. assumed that he was <laughs> he going was to lose, lose to Rafa yeah. <laughs> so he was like yeah I'll go and play Barcelona I'm going to lose it you know tonight but that was not to be and it was yeah it was a really weird really weird match Rafa did not play well he served abysmally uh I don't I think he hit about seven double faults and I think the mo that his most amount of double faults in it in a match ever was eight. So he was almost uh his worst ever serving performance in a match um ever since time began. <laughs> Kim, I don't think I've seen Nadal play that badly. That certainly yeah. that first set and a half. I was it was sort of a minor miracle that he he won that second set, uh in my opinion. Indeed. It was uh you know it was very um, it was very, very subdued. Uh, you know, I don't know if he was affected by the, you know, the fact that there was no crowd there, but it certainly felt like a bit of a shock because, you know, going into that match, he had won, you know, one and two against Del Bonis and then he won one and one against Dimitrov. Um, so he felt like, you know, he was just sort of steamrolling his way through to the final, but Rublev had had other, you know, plans on his mind. And um, even so, you thought that third set, you thought the momentum was going to shift and, and maybe Nadal was going to run away with it. But Rublev really, really did let that sort of second set blip 
phase him and was able to come to come through but it was certainly I think a surprise for me that third set that he wasn't able to to go on and, and win it like you know like the, ch- the champion that he is yeah I was expecting the third set to be a definitely a lot closer but it sort of reverted back to how it had been for most of the match and it was just that run of four games at the end of the second set when Rafa clinched it um, that got my hopes up, but um, I mean, obviously, I was I was glad that Rafa didn't get thrashed because it looked at one point like he was going to lose, you know, six two, six one, and I thought, oh my, oh my lord, like that's really bad. But um, I and I was just thinking, oh, just extend the match, get a bit more match practice, you know, that's all you need right now. But um, yeah, I don't know, it's a bit weird. I don't know if what was going on, but. It's better that it happens now rather than at, at Roland Garros. And I don't know, like we have seen it before where Rafa hasn't won, you know, every single clay warm-up event and he's still gone and won Roland Garros. So I don't think Rafa fans need to like panic uh, because we have kind of seen this before, but perhaps not sort of the stand, the, the low standard that Rafa was playing. That was perhaps the thing that sticks out a bit, a bit more compared to previous times that this has happened. Just on Rublev as well. I mean, he had come through as well against Batista Gut in a pretty lengthy match before that as well. So he might have been a bit tired when he got to that final because he did really have a, a really hard draw. And I mean, really, really impressive from him, to be fair, to, to take out Batista Gut and then Nadal. I actually think Batista Gut is probably the second. Is he? I feel like he's the second best clay quarter from Spain at the moment. And then Carreño Busta third, in my, in my opinion. But um, yeah, it was... It was really, really impressive from him to kind of take out both of those players back to back on consecutive days. But it was just a very strange, subdued performance from Nadal that I think has got everyone talking. I guess that, you know, the only saving grace, you know, as for, you know, for Nadal fans is that it didn't feel like there was an injury there. It was just that his level of tennis was, was low. And that is obviously a lot more kind of rectifiable. And you just hope it was more of a, you know, a dip or a blip. And you know, he can get back to to winning ways in Barcelona. Definitely. And I mean, let's just look at the semi-final lineup, Joel, because I've been, I think in our predictions last episode, <laughs> I had said that there would be like kind of two semi-rogue fin- uh, semi-finalists. I'd put Christian Garin in there, for example. Um, but we had Dan Evans and Casper Ruud. So there were two slightly surprising semi-finalists. Great week for Casper Ruud. I would say an absolutely fantastic week for Dan Evans because, you know, British number one player, but he beat the world number one, um, which, you know, this is new territory for Dan Evans. He's never beaten a top five player. And lo and behold, he goes and beats Djokovic in straight sets in the third round. Uh, Completely unexpected. I thought that was just an amazing, amazing win for him. And then he backed it up, you know, with with that win over Goffin as well. Um, really, really great week. And another doubles final as well with Neil Skupski. So I know. Keep on coming. It just, keeps, it just keeps going. But yeah, I mean, just was talking about Dan Evans and that match against Novak Djokovic, because I did, I did watch that on my kind of lunch break and it was just absolutely, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, first of all, it was a straight sets victory over the world number one. That does not happen very often. And we all know Dan Evans struggles on a, on a clay court. I don't actually think he's won a match um, at the French Open yet. Um, hopefully he can change that this season but he really it's not been a favorite surface of his over the over the over the years and to see that progression um, over you know to see the fact that he's worked so hard to particularly I think with his his ground strokes that 
you know, he's now able to take out someone like Novak Djokovic. It was just absolutely fantastic. And I think the key to that match, you know, watching it on, on TV, it was his it was his slice backhand, Kim. I mean, it was literally about death by slice by Dan Evans, I think, to Novak Djokovic. He kept it so low. And I think, you know, if there is one sort of struggle that Djokovic does have is arguably, I think, with players who don't give him a lot of pace. And I think that is mm. what... The game plan was from Dan Evans. He absolutely executed it perfectly um, on on the court. And I think, you know, it might, you know, I think other players in the locker room will be looking at that and thinking, well, you know, this is the way to beat Novak Djokovic on a clay court. And I certainly think that giving them kind of giving him no pace, middle of the court, um, low skiddy balls are, you know, are certainly a part of that. And I think Dan Evans, Dan Evans showed it in Monte Carlo. Yeah, I think I read that Novak had described it as the fact that Evans had dismantled his game, which I thought was quite a bold statement. But yeah, it was um, it was a weird match, though, wasn't it? It was quite up and down because Dad Evans obviously got off to a very quick start, went up a double break. Djokovic kind of pegged it back and you thought, oh, gosh, you know, he's just going to win the set now, you know, as he does. But, you know, Dad Evans managed to hold on to it. And then, you know, it was kind of the reverse in the second set. So... Really, really, really impressive. And um, I mean, I thought it was impressive that he beat Hubert Herkash uh, in the round before that, because obviously Herkash, you know, he's just won Miami in pretty decent form. Obviously, a very competent player at the best of times. Um, so, yeah, some great wins all round. I think ran out of steam against Sitsipas in the semifinals, was sort of somewhat outclassed, as the scoreline suggests. But, you know, really, really solid week. And obviously playing playing the doubles as well and getting to the, another doubles final at, at Masters level with Neil Skupski. Um, they weren't able to overcome Pavic and Mektic again, who are completely destroying the competition this year. They've um, been in six finals this year. They've won five of those. And yeah, they're, they're on a right old roll in the doubles tour. But um, obviously a fantastic week for for Dan Evans and uh, British fans, I suppose. And just one last thing. I was absolutely loving all the pinks and purples that Nike have come out with for their kit this clay this clay season, Joel. I, I love Rafa's... Babe? Is it a fashion thing? It babe? is. Yeah, I love Rafa's pinks and purples. Like, But I also liked the kit that Dimitrov and Rublev were wearing. Um, like the sort of maroony shorts and the, the sort of pink top. Really big fan of that. I, I, I'm, yeah, I have... I have so many um, superlatives to describe that <laughs> outfit. <laughs> I know it was, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. It was a fashion fave for me as well. Me as well. I love, I love seeing that uh, pink and purple sort of theme uh, on Nadal, and uh, yeah, it was great to see. It's just obviously a shame that there are no fans there, but I mean, Monte Carlo didn't happen last season, so I'm just kind of glad we were able to get back there. But uh, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one because the big two, you know, normally if one doesn't you know one one surprise is probably you know enough or one sort of early exit but you know this week it felt like you know we had two and it created big opportunities for players and and it's really great as a you know british fan to see dan evans you know being there because i think you know a few seasons ago if you would have if you would have seen that on on a, on paper you just would have thought you know very easy Djokovic straight sets but <laughs> complete opposite this time round well, I, I was just thinking Carl Edmund's got a win over him, hasn't he? Uh, which I think came at 
one of the other clay events was at Madrid. So they've both both of those guys have now got a win over Novak, which is which is good. We just need Cam Norrie to uh, to get the next one now. <laughs> but um, we also, Joel, uh, moving on from Monte Carlo, we had the WTA 250 out in Charleston, which was kind of a following on from the 500 event the week before. Um, and yeah, we had a, a new WTA winner, a maiden singles title winner in Astra Sharma. He was an Australian player, um, pretty like lowly ranked in the world, uh, down at 165. Uh, she claimed her first title beating Onzi Boer in the final, 267561. So, uh, staging a pretty impressive comeback to, um, to overhaul that one and, and get her first title. And, um, I don't know an awful lot about Astra Sharma. I've seen her name in draws. You know, I, I'm aware of her, but, you know, yet another kind of first time winner. We're getting quite a lot of them on the WTA tour this year. Yeah, it was really, really impressive uh, from her. I thought Onzia, it was, I felt like the writing was, I thought it was written in stars for Onzia Ball. I don't think she's won a title yet on the WTA tour. It feels like it's a, an inevitability and it feels like that final was a bit of a missed opportunity against someone who is ranked 165 in the world. I mean, Onzia Ball to the final she was just on a, on a warpath, really. I mean, there were bagels, there were breadsticks, um, but, you know, coming up against Sharma in the final, she won that first set 6-2 and you thought, you know, maybe she was going to go kind of steamroll it as well. But it wasn't the case. And I think all credit to Sharma there for really kind of making sure that she stuck with Yabor in that second set and took her chances, uh, you know, to take it, you know, deep on 7-5. And from there, I think she just broke Yabor. And I think actually that is one of the aspects of, of the, her game that Yabor will need to work on is that, I think she still has, is a bit mentally fragile. And if she isn't blowing players off the court, um, she needs to do something about it. And I don't think at the moment she, I feel it's a bit like a deer in headlights, I think, and doesn't really know kind of what to do. Um, and I think that sort of showed in the, in that second set where, you know, she probably would have felt like, you know, the title was here for the taking, but she wasn't able to do it. And, and from there, Sharma was just able to, um, to go on to victory. Yeah, and I think Sharma said that like she managed to cope with her nerves quite well. Um, she'd been in a final two years previous um, in Bogota, so uh, obviously managed to kind of learn from that experience and and keep the um, nerves under control this time round. And um, it's interesting actually because there are two other players uh, in the semi final lineup of that event who have been doing well uh, of of late as well. Danka Kovinic, who got to the Charleston final the week before, she she got through to the semis again, so keeping up that good form. And uh, I guess. One of the women of the moment, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, um, who won the title last week in Colombia in her in her home country, she um, got through to the semis. But I think uh, must have run out of steam, yeah, against against Sharma in that semi final. But still, really, really impressive. I think she had a yeah eight match winning streak came to an end in in the semi final. So um, definitely one to look out for as we kind of go into the French Open next month. Yes, and we also had action in the Billie Jean King Cup. We had the playoffs and GB versus Mexico for British fans was probably the the tie to look after. It was in Roehampton. It was on a hard court. It felt like a banana. We we talked about it, Kim, as a banana skin last week. And GB came through it uh, 3-1. I guess the only surprise was Heather Watson losing her second singles match to Zakarias in straight sets. I, it did give me a little bit of a wobble. I was a little bit nervous. I was a bit like, 
are Mexico gonna come back? But Katie Balter was able to kind of get the get the job done and CGB over the line. So that was great. That was great to see. So that secures them a spot in the 2022 Billie Jean King Cup finals qualifiers oh my god it's such a mouthful kim it's so, <laughs> there's so many aspects to a, a title i'm just like this feels like uh, too too long it's certainly a tongue twister if you try and say it over <laughs> and over again really fast but um yes katie balls great stuff you know two wins from two uh, so definitely good that we can rely on her and yeah a bit of a dodgy performance by Heather Watson uh, losing to Sakarius but yeah it was um, we came through it in the end as we as we expected and then there were obviously some other ties that were in the playoffs as well um, so for example Poland edged Brazil 3-2 um, we also had Kazakhstan narrowly beating Argentina the Netherlands came through against China all 3-2 um, Canada came through 4-0 four, four I can, can you say nil for rubbers or does it have to be for love? love for love, <laughs> I yeah. Know, yeah. I don't know why I've suddenly switched <laughs> to like football scorelines. Um, but I know Layla Annie Fernandez, uh, I think in both of her singles matches, she had to really fight back. So she had a very um, feisty uh, weekend in uh, Serbia uh, doing the job for uh, for Canada. And uh, I know Svetlina was in action as well for Ukraine and they came through against an, an Osaka-less Japan uh, so yeah, all all ties, uh, all well, all the winners of those will be into the qualifiers for next year um, to finally play in April, which I believe is going to be in Budapest, like it was originally supposed to be last year. But um, yeah, it's good to have a a week of I was going to say Fed Cup tennis, but Billie Jean King Cup tennis. <laughs> um, right, going to take a quick break now to recover from that. Uh, do join us in the second half where we're going to be talking about all the. Davis Cup updates, Roger Federer's French Open announcement, and all the clay events happening this week, including Barcelona and Stuttgart. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim, and we are going to crack off the second half with a bit of Mysterious Player. Yes, Mysterious Player Kim, I've got a Mysterious Player for you. Um, As always, listeners, play along. Uh, I'm going to give you your first clue, Kim. Are you ready? I am indeed. I was born on the 18th of February, 1983. Oh, that's my mum's birthday. Um, Is it my (laughs) mum? No, she's not a tennis player. (laughs) And she's definitely older than 83. I was was, like raising eyebrows there. Yeah. Okay, so they are almost 40. They're like 38. Okay. Um, could be anyone. Uh, Fernando Vidasco. Incorrect. Good, good oh. guess, but incorrect. Uh, next clue. I retired from tennis, from professional tennis, on the 14th of May, 2018. So retired mm. quite recently. 2018. Um, Nicholas Kiefer? Incorrect. It's not Nicholas Kiefer. I have a career win-loss record of 565 wins to 412 losses. So around 58% win-loss kind of record. Oh, blimey. Uh, it's quite a lot of matches. Quite a lot yeah, of matches. Yeah, so been around, you know, a fair bit. Um, uh, 
Oh, I'm just trying to think of people. Uh, Julian Beneteau. <laughs> Incorrect. It's not oh. Julian Beneteau. That was a good guess. I quite like that. Um, it's not Julian Beneteau. Um, next clue. I won 10 WTA singles titles in my career. Right. Okay. So it's not Julian Beneteau. Uh, <laughs> uh, WTA, 10 singles titles, retired 2018. Oh, um, Marion Bartley? Oh, no, no, she retired way before that. <laughs> Incorrect. It's not Marion Bartley. Uh, oh. No. Um, Ma- do you want your- Maria, do- I was going to say Sharapova, but she won a lot more than that, didn't she? Mm. Incorrect, not Maria Sharapova. Okay, next clue. Uh, my highest career singles ranking is number seven. Oh, um, no, she's not 38. I was going to say Lucy Safarova, but she's not 38. And she did, she retired a bit more recently, didn't she? Incorrect. It's not Lucy Safarova. Oh. Uh, next clue. I like. I quite like this one. Uh, I am the oldest player ever to make their appearance in the top 10 at 33 years old and four days as on, as on my debut. Debut in the top ten. Sorry. Wow. Okay, I was thinking that is really impressive longevity uh, with this player. So she would have been in the top ten around twenty third. Oh no, twenty six. Oh, quite soon before retiring. Twenty sixteen. Flavia Panetta. No, because she 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 won that US Open many years before that, didn't she? Incorrect. It's not mm. Flavia Panetta. Next clue. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I have achieved the career Grand Slam in doubles. Oh, okay. Oh, is it? Um... No, it's not Barbora Stritzkova. She's still playing. Oh, dear. Um <laughs> It's not Barbora Stritzkova. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's someone of that sort of ilk, though, isn't it? Like, mm. really competent, you know, singles player and obviously doubles player. Um, Casey Delacqua? <laughs> Incorrect. I don't think oh. Delacqua reached number seven <laughs> in the singles. I would have loved oh, that, yeah. but I don't think that. <laughs> okay, oh, I've got three more I clues. Okay. I've got three more clues. These will be, I think, a lot more obvious. You might even get it on the next one. Um, okay. I reached the ladies' singles final of the US Open in 2015. Oh, is that the Italian? Is that the Roberta Vinci one? No, she wouldn't have won 10 singles titles or got to world number seven, I don't think. It is oh, correct. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. It's oh, Roberta really? Vinci. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, actually, she was seven in the world. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, it was Roberta Vinci. Um, my two final clues were going to be: I won the Fed Cup four times with Italy, uh, but my final clue, and perhaps what she's most remembered for, is she uh, delivered one of the greatest shocks in tennis, defeating Serena Williams in three sets at the uh, U.S. Open in 2015, ending her hopes of the calendar Grand Slam. 
So didn't Serena get annoyed and like there was a incident in that match as well? I think wasn't there? Yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I think you're right. What, yeah, I um, completely forgot. By the way, Kim Flavia Panetta won uh, is a Grand Slam champion. I complete like that just did completely did not cross my mind when I was researching this. But yeah, it was an all Italian final. Um, but yeah, Vinci, Vinci came up short. I think Panetta almost did a bit of a Barcelona and, and basically retired straight after that mm. because you know she basically achieved what she wanted to I suppose <laughs> uh so yeah um but yeah fantastic thank you very much Joel listeners did you manage to get Roberta Vinci before I did uh, that was quite a tough one for me I have to say um but we've got a mailbag question next Joel uh, from David who kindly emailed the show and actually this is quite funny from what you were saying earlier Joel about the Billie Jean King Cup because <laughs> uh David asked do you think the Davis Cup should be named after a player uh, like the Fed Cup is now called the Billie Jean King Cup. And if so, what name would you have? Mm, interesting. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this uh, you know, through the week because I I was thinking, are there any players out there that you could you know, give that are of that stature of, of Billie Jean King? And I, I could only really think at the moment, like maybe Rod Laver, but Rod Laver already has a cup and... I feel like if the Labour Cup hadn't existed or didn't exist in a sort of alternate universe, I feel like we could have potentially had the Davis Cup be like rebranded the Labour Cup in a in a weird sort of way. But um, I don't know. I feel I, I can't see. I can't see. I can't. It, there's no name, obvious name that really comes to me, actually, uh, when it comes to kind of the Davis Cup, well, un, apart from Rod Laver. And because he's already got one, um mm. I'd be hogging it, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, I I I'm I think like it could maybe have a name change. Um I know maybe not like the Cosmos Cup, but um maybe maybe something maybe something else, but um the, the Gerard PK Cup. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, I, I know Is what you mean. Name you because... would choose to, to change it to <laughs> I would go for Raph and Adal Cup, obviously. <laughs> uh I think maybe in like ten years time you could have like the Federer well, no, but then it'd be Fed Cup, wouldn't it? They'd shorten if he's if he chose Federer it'd oh, be that like would be Fed. Yeah, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> That'd be, be weird. Confusing. Yeah. yeah. Um I think it's a tricky one. But actually the Davis Cup is named after a person already. Uh because I've just looked this up because I'm sure it was it is a person. Apparently, it's Dwight Philly Davis, who was a, a colle- American collegiate tennis player, I believe, who came up with the idea to start a challenge tennis match between the USA and Great Britain. And that, I think that is the origins of the Davis Cup. So it kind of technically is named after a person. Uh, but yeah, I think choosing one person... I'm just trying to think of the person that's kind of most equivalent to like Billie Jean King in terms of being so formative and trailblazing. And it's kind of, yeah, it's a bit harder to think, isn't it? In, in terms of maybe Arthur Ashe. Arthur yeah. Ashe Cup. Yeah. 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 I'd take that. I'd take that. Then um, you could call it the AA Cup or, well, I don't know. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's, that might yeah. sound a bit weird. I don't know. Might, people might think that's something else, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, listeners, do you have any suggestions <laughs> um, for what you think the Davis Cup could potentially be called if there was to be a, a rebrand, I suppose? Um, let us know your thoughts. Um, always interested to to hear them. So do let us know. Uh, but going back to tennis, Joel, and, and Davis Cup news, actually, because um, it has been announced that the 2021 Davis Cup final finals will actually be played across three different cities 
So it's not just going to be in Madrid like it was in 2019. It's going also to Turin and Innsbruck as well, uh, who have all kind of bid to, to host it. Um, so each city are going to host two groups. Um, Madrid will have the quarterfinals. Um, well, two of the quarterfinals, Innsbruck and Turin will have another quarterfinal. And then they'll all go to Madrid for the semifinals and the final. So, um, bit yeah, bit of a spread around, which I don't know. I was a bit kind of thinking, is that a bit dodgy when this kind of era of of COVID and kind of restrictions and what what if there's going to be problems, you know, going from one country to another sort of within the same week? I, I didn't know if that would cause an issue. I thought maybe it would be better to, to have them all in the same place. But I, I don't know. Yes, it was interesting to see Innsbruck and Turin being selected as the sort of two other venues for the Davis Cup. Um, I, I was sort of anticipating it being expanded. It might make things a bit more confusing, um, but I guess at the same time, it makes tennis you know, in the Davis Cup a bit more accessible in terms of different audiences in, in different countries. I think it was interesting. I think I read that Scotland... Um, had a proposal put in to be one of the venues, but it was rejected. So it sounds like they wanted to keep it kind of close proximity to Madrid and perhaps Scotland was a bit kind of too far away. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's an interesting kind of move um, and it kind of, I guess, contains things to those venues. And I just think in kind of the sporting calendar, we're seeing kind of the Euros in the football, for example, also be played across different you know parts of Europe and not just at one venue and it feels like there is a trend at the moment maybe in sports and and tennis is is sort of going down the same route in terms of rather than just being in one single place they would like to kind of share it around uh, you know in you know for uh, you know during one year um so maybe it's part of that as well um you know the Davis Cup I know they like to call it the World Cup of tennis now so that might have been something they looked at what was happening in football maybe wanted to kind of bring it into the tennis arena but I mean it's an it, it's definitely going to be you know hope, hopefully it will go ahead but yeah it, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun and I think it will just open it up to kind of hopefully more audiences assuming that they they will be able to be to co- to go in yeah, definitely. I'm already thinking, oh, which one would I go to uh, <laughs> if I could choose? But I think I'd still have to go to Madrid because uh, obviously Spain are, are are in Group A, which are in Madrid. So, um, yeah, and also Turin have the ATP finals. So they are going to have a lot going on at the end of the season in Turin, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, uh, other news, Joel, which somewhat surprising, perhaps. Uh, Roger Federer has announced that he will be playing the French Open this year. Um, he's going to come back in Geneva uh, for the Geneva event uh, in advance of Roland Garros. And yeah, I, I was not really expecting this because I just assumed he was going to just focus purely on the grass, especially now that Roland Garros has been pushed back a week. Mm. Um, is this, do you think, him sort of thinking, this could be my last season on tour I'd like to say goodbye to the fans at Roland Garros or however many fans are going to be there. What's your perspective on this? I thought it was a sort of inevitable. He was going to come back and and do at least some of the clay season. Um, As you said, I think he is just, it would be silly for him not to, to miss these moments where, you know, he might be thinking this is a potential time to kind of thwart or add 
uh, to, you know, to my Grand Slam record and, and make sure I am the outright holder. I don't realistically know what we can expect from Roger Federer at the French Open. And I don't actually think Geneva is going to tell us a lot. I mean, I, I was sort of surprised. I know that's obviously his home event and, you know, he's going to be absolutely thrilled to play in front of, of home fans again, which I don't think he's done, uh, you know, for a few years. But um, the fact that he's not playing one of the, the Masters events in, in Madrid or Rome, he's probably not going to have a, a caliber of opponent that is going to, you know, give us a, a real, uh, I think, assessment of of how he's going to get on, um, you, you know, in in Roland Garros. Um, but you know, well, you know, he is he is he is still pretty he is still pretty good. Uh, he, I think he, you know, the last <laughs> time he was there, he got to the semifinals. Um, that so, is true. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> um, and I think you know we've we've spoken about the rankings and you know the seedings and and all of that sort of stuff. And it, it you do feel like it has favoured him, and maybe that was part of his decision. The fact that he will go to Roland Garros with a pretty what will likely be a pretty good, uh, you know, seeding, um, you know, that that might have kind of factored in in terms of it will kind of potentially help him ease in to the, you know, to the, you know, to the two weeks to that to that tournament and maybe get a few, you know, best of five matches under his belt um, against lower ranked players. Um, and his seeding may, yeah, may, may have helped him on that. But um, yeah, I think it's good. It's good to see him back there and, you know, to have, I think the big three at Roland Garros is 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 always going to be a it's always going to be fun and I think always people are always going to be clamoring for that you know Rafa Roger uh, matchup that you know it might happen it might not it did happen you know in that ter- in those terrible weather conditions before so maybe maybe we can actually get that in in a lot better weather and hopefully with fans as well but um yeah that was that was my impression I just think yeah I like. It's it's nice, but like, what can you realistically expect from a, a man who has not played on clay for quite a while and has got one two fifty tournament in the build up? But he could easily prove prove myself wrong, Kim. I think he chirped up when he saw that. Novak and Rafa had both gone out fairly early in Monte Carlo <laughs> and then suddenly he's like hi everyone happy to let you know I'm going to play Geneva and yeah. Paris um, yeah. I think he can sense blood uh, and there's a possibility mm. that yeah. you know the unlikely could happen and he could um, you know win a, win Roland Garros but um, until Roland Garros we do have some other clay events and that is um, including Barcelona which is well already underway this week uh, sort of the uh it's the 500 uh, event of the kind of, you know, big kind of clay court build-ups, but it's still got a really decent, really decent strong draw. Obviously, Rafa's there. Sitsipas is there. Rublev is there. Um, he got a wild card, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, you've got Schwartzman, Bautista Agut, Sinner. Uh, they're all there almost, basically. Casper Rude, you know, coming off a semi-final as well. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this one's going to turn out. Rub Levens, it's pass, could meet in the semifinals. Um, Dan Evans has got a possible uh, Schwartzman or Carlos Alcaraz uh, in the third round, possibly. Um, Cam Norrie's got Salvatore Caruso, Kim. I'm surprised yes. that wasn't your first, that wasn't your first <laughs> go-to matchup. Oh, I've got to go with Norrie for this one as much as I love Caruso. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I think, Baut- I really think Bautista Agut Sinner potentially could be a quite a nice one uh, in the third potentially in the third round um i think bautista Agut could do quite well this week i'm interested also to see how rublev does i mean he had a lot of 
he had a lot of time on court, I think, in Monte Carlo to go to Barcelona. I mean, yes, he's a, you know, he's he's a very physical and you know fit guy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he kind of gets on. Um, but yeah, I could. Uh, do you, I mean, Kim? Where are you feeling with Nadal? Do you, do you send? I I look at that top half. I don't really see any b- banana skins there, like a Rublev until maybe the final. I mean, Schwartzman lost to Rude. Casper Ruud, uh, you know, Monte Carlo, he's the fourth seed. Yeah, it's it's tricky because just hopefully Raffle will play better and serve better than he did against Rublev. But yeah, I think final, um, I think route to final, decent enough. I think most of the danger men are in the bottom half. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Sitsipas keeps up his form uh, or if someone like, you know, Bautista Agut ends up kind of coming through that that half. Dan Evans is in that top half. I mean, I know. Yeah. he's come up against Schwartzman and Schwartzman doesn't sound like he's in the best of form at the moment. So, you know, very easily uh, could you know get through to the quarters, maybe maybe a semi. Um, have to wait and see. But yeah, I think Dan Evans will be another player to keep an eye on, particularly he'll be full of confidence now, I think, what, you know, with that win over, over Novak Djokovic last week. Yeah, I mean... Schwartzman is small fry. If you can beat Novak, then, you know, he won't be worried about Diego Schwartzman, will he? Uh, but we've also, talking of Novak, we've got the Belgrade uh, event in Serbia happening as well, uh, which is at the Novak Tennis Centre. Uh, so very much at home. <laughs> and a lot of other Serbians in the draw, of, obviously, as well. Um, Berrettini is also there and Aslan Karatsev. Uh, Seb Korda also in the draw. Um, but yeah, I mean, this one, I'd be surprised if Novak didn't win this one, seeing as he is sort of a cut above uh, everyone else in the draw, to be quite honest with you. Um, all of the qualifiers and lucky losers have also seemingly ended up in his half of the draw, uh, which is funny. Uh, but yeah, he, obviously they played this event back in the day, didn't they? He um, had this event going and they stopped for many years and it's back again. So yeah, all the Serbians would be loving this. I think that bottom half, it's all to play for to lose to Novak Djokovic in the final. I think is how I, is how I'm kind of reading it. Yeah. I, Seb Korda could be an interesting one to watch. I also think, uh, Alexei Popperin as well. Um, I quite like watching his game on a tennis court. So curious to see how he gets on, but I just, you just kind of think Novak Djokovic is, is there and, and should win it in front of his home fans. Indeed. Uh, and then we've got two WTA uh, events. We've got the 500 out in Stuttgart. Um, Ash Barty is the top seed for that one. Uh, but Simona Halep is back. She is starting her clay campaign off. And then the defending champion, Kvitova, is also in the draw. <laughs> She's got a really tough first round against Jen Brady. Um, I mean, I would still expect Kvitova to come through that because I don't think Brady's been playing no, particularly well yeah. since her mm. final at the AO. But I mean, just in terms of, you know, that being a first round, like that could be a, a, a Grand Slam final. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. That was, I, it's just funny. I just feel like that's a hard, that's a hard court matchup. It's not a clay, it's not as much a clay court mm. matchup, but you know, I'll take, I'll take it. Um, yeah. I mean, Halep could face Von Drusova, um, in her first match. Uh, you know, she had that little, you know, she obviously dropped out of Miami with a little injury doubt. So hopefully that was, you know, that's water under the bridge now and she can kind of get back to, you know, full fitness. So, uh, I'm curious to see how Halep gets on. We know Barty is very dangerous on a, on a clay court. Svitolina seems to have found some form as well uh, in Miami. So yeah, I feel like, you know, of the top four seeds, maybe Kenin is probably the one that is the, um, you know, the most maybe susceptible of not getting, you know, to the semis or or the final. But, um, you know, she, she will feel like I think she has a point to prove at the moment as well. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, Sakari, Svaslina, also, you know, decent, uh, in decent form as well. So um, we'll have to see what happens there. And Ash Barty, you know, it's all, all to play for. And then there's the also the Istanbul event, which is a 250 um, out in Turkey. I mean, my eye is on Kudermatova probably for this one. Obviously, she won Charleston uh, kind of end of last week. Um, and I mean, looking at the draw, you know, Petra Martic, she's pretty decent. Elise Mertens. But I, I do, I, there's not too many names that are sort of springing out. I mean, Anna Konya, she had a very good uh, week, a few few weeks back. Was that in Miami? Yeah. Anna Konya? Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. so. I think yeah, I'm 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 feeling like Vera Zvonareva is going to do something actually oh, in Istanbul. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, you would expect Elise Mertens. I mean, she's so consistent. She's very good at putting away mm. players kind of lower ranked than her. Um, you'd expect her to. You'd expect her to come through and be one of the favourites. But yeah, I'm sort of yeah looking at p- players who are a lot more experienced in that draw and I think Zvonareva for some reason I don't know it's just, it's just a shout Kim I feel like Zvonareva's got a good got a good chance well Joel you can follow it all on the newly announced WT app <laughs> uh, WT app WTA app God, I can't speak they won't be hiring me to uh to release their uh new uh, live scoring app will they because um yeah anyway we were b- bemoaning at the start of the year that the ATP had obviously got this flash Flash new app and where was us. the WTA one? Well, yeah. they've, listened every, they've listened to everyone else. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So it's now available to download uh, on Apple and Android. So I shall be doing that tonight and checking it out. Um, although I have been finding the TNNS app my go-to because it, you know, has has been doing both both tours. Um, but yeah, and also the WTA have announced their kind of next. Uh, few weeks schedules uh for the kind of next nine weeks of the season um so see a few changes underway uh her tog and bosch for the women have been cancelled so as the cologne event uh and there's a few kind of changes new event in cleveland happening in august um strasburg's moved back i think a week uh, as roland garris has moved back so um all change but that'll all be on the wta website um but yeah i think that brings us to a close for this week and we'll be back obviously next weekend to wrap up on you know barcelona and stuttgart and all the other events and bring uh listeners any other sort of news and shocks from the world of tennis uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode, this catch up from the passing shot. If you want to make sure you are up to date on all things in the tennis world, make sure to subscribe to the passing shots on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you have been enjoying the podcast on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at passing shot pod and if you'd like to contact us via email you can do so passing shot pod at gmail.com do get in touch do give us a like and a follow do subscribe uh, we'd love to hear from you and hear all your thoughts and we will be back next week with another passing shot catch-up so i hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon <laughs>
title uh from charleston i feel like one it was definitely one of the more obscure looking titles we've seen in recent times uh on the wta tour yeah i think from an aerial perspective it looked like a big cup of tea (laughs) or big cup of coffee uh which is quite nice but i i think there is um quite a few tea sort of uh plantations and and such like around charleston so maybe they were it just looks like one it just looks like one massive pot and it's got like layers of wicker in it i think 